if you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today we're going to bring you Dr. Hayley Randall. Hayley's been on before. She had a previous chat, I think number 164, and she was so popular we brought her back as a listener's choice and repeated that episode on number 408. So if you need to find out a little bit more about Hayley, go back, have a listen to those episodes or just one of those episodes is all you need. Um, from a personal point of view, she's got extraordinary organisational skills. She was a superstar organiser at the ISIS conference that was held in Australia and she's a strong supporter of facilitating research into the training forces to enhance health welfare and to improve the horse-rider relationship. So I think she's absolutely perfect today to talk to us about horse welfare and contemporary issues of horse health welfare. And um, we'll get started in a minute. I just want to have a quick chat to you, though, about International Horse College. So if you've got a vision to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then we're talking to the right audience Go to internationalhorsecollege.com now. Register training organisation 31352. Hayley, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Yep, all Wonderful. good. We're just Wonderful. gearing up, um, ready for teaching this session. Good, good. Okay, so we're going to talk about assessing horse welfare. And it becomes a little more as, you know, is your horse fat enough? But if you were going to define horse welfare, what would you say? What sort of a definition would you give? Okay, so my, my definition um, is very much a, a practical one. Um, and, I mean, I would say something like it's an individual horse's ability to um, cope with its environment, which actually is based on quite an old-fashioned sort of original definition. Um, but it's also their ability to experience a range of, of emotions, which may not necessarily just be the happy ones. I'm just saying it may not always be, um, you know, all about the horse always being happy, but mm -hmm. being able to experience a range of emotions and then subsequently learning how to, to deal with them, just like okay. we, we are with children, I guess. Yes, yes, we can't have children happy all the time. It's, they end up being pretty <laughs> no, spoiled. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now, we used to talk about the five freedoms, but there's been more progress recently regarding animal horse welfare and, you know, I mean, I want to say, too, that Hayley's giving us this information on evidence-based research. It's not just what she's come up with and what's most popular at the time when she's talking to her friends. This is actual evidence-based research and worldwide evidence-based research. So the progress recently regarding animal horse welfare, can you talk to us about that and what was the five yeah, freedoms? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um of course. Um, so originally the Fire Freedoms came around um, as a result of a report that was commissioned back in 1965, which is just a little bit older than I am. Um, and that resulted in the Fire Freedoms, which were basically um, provisions. They were things that you had to provide for animals in order for them to be assessed as in good welfare or, you know, you the owner, the person responsible actually providing appropriately. Um, so the five freedoms have been around for, I always say donkey's years, bad pun, but for a very long um, time. Yeah. And they're still very, very much used today in, in the practical world. However, um, over the last 10 years or so, probably a little bit longer, there's been um, sort of a, a move to also 
consider things um, that come under something called the five domains model. So this is where we're actually also trying to include how animals may be feeling um, about things and also um, looking more explicitly about behaviour, but also um, the kind of the impact on the, the mental state of, of the animals. So that's always a problem area because we all think, don't think we know what's going on in another human's head, never mind another animal's head. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think it's, it's really been a, a thing about a move from providing for the animal to actually assessing what the animal is receiving and how they're perceiving what they're receiving. So okay. how they perceive the physical, but also how that feels. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, if we talked about the difference between resource and animal-based indicators of welfare in horses, how would you define that? What's, what's the difference there? Okay, so that's a, a good question to, to follow, follow on because resource-based really relates to five freedoms. So that's about, you know, the animal has access to food, a nice soft place to lie, um, water, you know, all of those sorts of things. Also including access to companions and so on because they are a, a sort of an environmental resource. Um, as the animal-based indicators are, are moving more on in, in the same way as the five domains into, you know, sort of animal feelings, um, animal ability to express emotions and all of those sorts of things. So we're moving from what's provided to how it's received Okay. okay. in a nutshell. So, yes, yes. The horse's mental state. Does that matter to welfare? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I mean, it's not just, as you said before, this is an evidence-based sort of discussion, mm. but um, I think that that does matter. Um, if you look at the human literature, um, so not just knowing humans, but actually looking at the literature, that's been proven time and time again to be absolutely important to an individual's um, welfare. Um, so, I mean, the short answer to that is yes. <laughs> um, but obviously, um, the longer answer is yes, it does matter, but we need to have evidence that, that it matters and then evidence of how um, the mental state can actually be um, assessed. So that we probably need to take a little bit of a step back and actually look at how that's been done in other other species because um, animals such as livestock species will have had a lot more research attention because there's funding more readily available because it's livestock and it's a production sort of mm -hmm, scenario. Mm -hmm, yeah. So, you know, it, it's like I say to my students, it's always worth looking at what's happening on in the dog research, the cow research, the human research, and then use that to inform how we may best research horses. Okay, okay, because we do use the anthropomorphism, don't we? You know, we're thinking about horses and their mental state, so knowing that how and why is important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's... It is really, really important because one of the problems that we have um, with anthropomorphism is that we are all just born to do it all the time. And mm -hmm. I'm, I find myself, you know, I'm teaching our, our students and um, then they'll ask me about the latest course that I seem to have acquired because there seems to be a number of them since I've been here. Um, and I will give a description which I listen to myself and go, oh, that was very anthropomorphic. You know, he's yes. this, he's that. Um, so on, but then I'll follow that up and say, actually, what I really meant by that is, you know, there's the um, and and so on. But it's just our default. We, we can't we can't help um, doing it. But the only problem is is that 
When we do that too much, um, we start making assumptions and then we start doing our research at a higher level than where we probably need to start. So um, making those assumptions can actually prevent us asking some of the proper sort of sensible questions that we need to ask. Okay, okay. And emotions in horses. Tell me, do horses show emotions? Um, well, we think so. And, mm-hmm. I mean, that is like the royal we, as in researchers um think so. Um, it's really quite inconclusive at the moment, but there's there's quite a big body of research going on around facial um, expressions and looking at some very specific um, behaviours that horses um, do and sort of things like looking at combinations of, of very specific behaviours such as, you know, the nose wrinkle coupled with an ear going in a certain direction and a certain sort of vocalisation or so on. Um, it's it's really quite tentative, although there are some, you know, there's some good publications out there. But as with every area that's quite new, for one publication we'll find one thing, another publication will will find um, an opposing thing. So as sort of good scientists and good practitioners, we need to be aware there's a body of work emerging, but actually know when to take it and run with it or when to sit and, you know, just sort of really step back and look for signs and then see if they're repeatable um, and then you know, eventually you go on and you do bigger studies with different sorts of horses um, different backgrounds and, and so on <laughs> Stop I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification that is that the latest version of the book 101 Careers in the Horse Industry is now available and the best news is that it's a free download So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. We'll just have to stay updated with that one, I think, won't we? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Now, if we're measuring effective state in horses, tell us about the physiology, behaviour. It's confusing. Well, um, yeah, it's certainly... um it certainly can be. Um, there's a number number of reasons for that. So measuring effective state in, in any animal is still relatively um, new and particularly in horses, as I said, because of kind of lack of opportunities. I have been involved in a project with some um, colleagues across the world where we've been actually looking at the literature around physiology and behaviour in horses. And, and what we find is that um, within the physiology um, area, so that's when we're looking at things like heart rate um, and sort of things like respiration, sweating, and all of those sort of physiological signs. That actually there are some findings. But quite often they they are flawed in that the equipment used has either um, been validated or maybe um, we've done something like we, we tend to do quite often. We grab some technology that's used in a different species, get all excited, apply it to a horse. And when, when the the data analyzed, it hasn't actually been turned 
into sort of set up for horses. It's still on human setting or something like that. Mm. So there's there's some flaws in, in basically what's been published. Not everything. It's just, you know, one or two. Um, and the, the other thing um, is that with, with behaviour, there's been lots of conflicting uh, results. Then, so as I said before, one study says A is the case, and then another study says B, and then another one says A, and another one says C, sure. and so on. But we have to just have sort of better designed studies and replicate those studies more mm-hmm. thoroughly. And then the other thing that happens, just to make it really complicated, um, is that studies that have shown that the relationship between the two things, actually, that might not be the case. So it could be that the physiology is telling you, let's just say, for example, that the horse is happy, in inverted commas, and the behaviour tells you that the horse is not happy, um, <laughs> in inverted commas. So whilst I think there's been some early studies where it's assumed if a rate is high, the horse is stressed, that may not always be be the case. And equally, if you're looking at a horse that, um, and I find this quite hard not to be anthropomorphic now, <laughs> classic example yes. of this, yeah, yeah. Is um, I I had two two grey Arabs, both yeah. white, and they're not supposed to say that. Um, and I did an experiment, sample size of two, which is <laughs> not good. Um, and put heart rates on them and took them for a ride. And the one of them was all spooky, eyes out on stalks, really kind of jumping around all over the place. The other one uh, behaved immaculately, really perfectly. Didn't spook at a the spin rolling around in the wind and all that sort of thing. And when I got on the back, I took the heart rate monitors off and they were completely the opposite. Were they? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, the, the good old girl who was always very good and didn't show you any behavioural signs, her heart rate was through the roof. And the other guy who was all, whoa, look at me, um, his heart rate was back to teeth. I know that's who's to say that heart rate monitors weren't actually something called crosswalk which is when you try and put too much equipment on at once, they conflict each other. Yes. And um, as we've discovered with students, when I've said to them, you don't have your mobile phone on you, do you? Because they can also interfere with data recording. Okay. Okay. So there's so many things to learn. And, you know, so you can use physiology, you can use behaviour. But I think at the moment we still don't know enough to say this is definitely what's going on. So, because we all want our horses to be happy, are we any closer to knowing in a horse that they're happy? Um, I think that we probably are a tiny bit closer mm-hmm. in that people seem to be much more aware of how we should be providing for horses. Okay. So, um, that's, that's just one aspect of it. Um, but also, I think the things like this work that's been going on around physiology and behaviour of affective state and so on, we're just at the very beginning, and I just feel like in a minute that's all going to explode, um, and there's going to be a lot more investment in that, particularly with um, now, um, obviously in Australia, we've had a big thing about the welfare of race horses um, yes. and so on. Um, and I think that brings all of these questions to the force. There's much more interest, and that brings the slight probability of more funding. Mm-hmm. And also, it's becoming safer to say, I want to look at affective state or emotions in horses. People just don't laugh at you and chase you out the building. They'll actually go, okay, so how are you going to do to that sort of thing? The yeah. kind of academic world is changing, and I think the people out on the ground are changing as well. You know, there's this real thing around social licence as well, which I think is a really big 
driver, which will enable us to, actually, just to get back to the question, to being able to get closer to knowing if horses um, are happy or indeed unhappy. Yeah, yeah. Now, Haley, a slight change of direction. What do you think are the main issues faced by horses today? Oh, that's an interesting um, <laughs> one. Um, I'm, there's a, a couple of things that actually have kind of bugged me, really, and I think they've been right to bug me. Um, as I think I said on a previous thing, I've moved from, um, well, from the UK in 2016 over to Australia. Uh, I've been here ever since. And I would say my biggest thing at the moment is the use of rugs on horses. Mm-hmm. So I'm one of these people that gets very annoyed when I see horses in the winter with multiple rugs on. And um, here, um, and actually I've seen it everywhere, so I'm not just you know being negative about Australian practice. But you do see a lot of horses um, in the summer wearing um, rugs. Um, they're cotton rugs, but they um, they are often referred to as either cool rugs or shade rugs. And I get really annoyed when manufacturers do that mm-hmm. because they don't make it any cooler for the horse. They don't improve the welfare, and they certainly don't improve shade. Mm-hmm. And I just get really annoyed because the people that are buying them are probably buying them because they want to do the best by their horse. Well, we usually do, don't we? I mean, that's the whole thing. Yeah, we want to do the yeah, best by yeah. our horse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course you do. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. so overrugging is one of my um, things, and one of my other things that I think um, is beginning to to sort of make some um, headway is is about um, clipping off whiskers. Mm-hmm. Um, because as we, as we know, you know, the whisker is actually attached to the brain. Yes, lots of other yes, bits. yes. And we wouldn't go around doing that to, to humans because mm-hmm. it would be seen as unethical and, you know, compromising the day-to-day quality of life and ability to, to do things. So why is it acceptable in, in a horse? And, you know, if somebody went around and chopped the whiskers off their dogs, there would be an absolute hell up over it. So... choose where you want to lie down. Do you want to be indoors or outdoors? And those sorts of 
things. You know, do you want to eat over there or do you want to eat that hay here? And, and you know, making making choices because one of the biggest problems that we've had in terms of horse ownership, because we want to make everything so perfect for our horses, we've provided everything so they don't have to think about where to get food or where mm-hmm. the water is or make any choices. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole bit of their brain that's just not being occupied, which okay. could then, you know, have an impact on kind of mental well-being, you know, an effective state in, in that way. Because if you're never getting to make choices, you're not learning that that was a good choice or a bad choice. Yes. And, you know, the, the emotions that come with um, come with that. So quality of life, I think, is another one of these great big sort of, uh, sort of beyond the label thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> a big concept. And I think we're still unpicking what we mean um, by the different elements of that, but for me, it's about having access to all you need, but actually having to work for it a little bit. Yes, I think. yes, yes. And the fact that you've come back, that's what I find really exciting about this chat, Hayley, is that you've come back and said, well, we're in the process of, well, you know, one study might say this, one might yeah, contradict, but we're yeah. working on it. We're working on it. We're putting all the pieces together and, you know, maybe there needs to be a bigger study in a certain area, but we're progressing. We're working on it. We're, yes. we're not just have these fixed ideas that someone came out with a century or two ago, the whole yeah, the whole research, it's all evidence-based, it's coming on, we've just got to keep going with it. And, you know, we're yeah. looking at the best outcome for the horse. Yeah, and I think we also have to realise, and well, I think we do realise, but we have to admit some of the news that we've explored about horse welfare may not have been the best ones, but mm. they were the best ones at the time. So yes. as long as we're always trying to move, you know, my, my dad always says, I'm willing upwards. <laughs> so as long as you're trying to move, and it, even if you're making one step forward and two steps back, as long as you can pick yourself up and keep going. Yep. Yep. Um, and, and equally, listen to the practitioners. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think, you know, in the, in the past, I mean, certainly since, the um, International Society for Equitation Science has got going. There is a lot less, you know, them and us academics bouncing forth to practice yes. what they yep. should do. Yep. Um, I mean, I, I always say to my students, you know, this is me. I've got horses on me because I've been playing with my horses before coming to teach. I learned something today. Here mm. it is. Mm. Yep. <laughs> you know, and, yep. and just being completely down to earth and very much practitioner, and for me, certainly as my teacher, I'm not afraid to tell people when I've made a mistake, because not only hopefully do I learn from it, but mm. they do too. Yep. So, yep. you know, I think that's, that's the little welfare things, as well as the big ones. So, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Now, Hayley, we are trying to bring in a challenge each time. You know, it's great for people to listen to podcasts, get lots of um, knowledge and lots of education, but if they don't put it into practice, then it's not yeah. as much use. So as a challenge today, I'd like you to go to the equitationscience.com site and have a yeah. look at the, the five domains model and make sure that you're ticking all the boxes with your own horse care. I think that's very important. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. And when you're doing that, it's not always just about, you know, how you have to optimise your time because generally if you have to drive somewhere to do your horse, it's because you've got to be at work by a certain time. So if everything is all in one place, mm-hmm. that's easier for you, but it might not be the best thing for the horse. Yes, yes, yes. So, yeah, that's certainly one of the things that I changed when I used to used to do that. Can, okay. I can leave case, so, yeah. Cool. 
Hayley, what's the best way for people to contact you if they need to ask you any questions or, um, you know, more information about this? What's the best way? We've given them the equitationscience.com website. That's the International Society for Equitation Science. Yeah, that's fine. Um, also, my, my email is yep. another one. I'm always happy to email people, and even yep. if I can't respond immediately because I'm about to go teaching or, <laughs> or something, I, sure. I will get back to people, and I don't mind being nagged if I haven't responded the first time. So, Not a problem. Yeah. That's fine. You, you have my email, don't we you? We do, and that'll be on, if you go yeah. to horsechats.com, if you go horsechats.com slash Randall 2 or just go horsechats.com and search for Hayley or search for Randall and you'll find those details at the bottom of one of your chats. So you've got the three pages yeah. now, so those details should be at the bottom there. Yeah. Hayley, wonderful talking to you. Yeah, we sort of got it all together and it's always good talking to you. Well, I look forward to the next one. <laughs> yeah, so. looking forward to it. <laughs> Okay, well, great. Thank you. Thanks, Hayley. Bye. Okay, bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 